Hello, everybody. Welcome to the League of Fans Sports Forum podcast. I am Ken Reed, and I am your host. I'm also Sports Policy Director for League of Fans, a sports reform project founded by Ralph Nader. You can find some of our work at leagueoffans.org. Our mission at League of Fans is to fight for the principles of justice, fair play, equal opportunity, civil rights, safety, and civic responsibility in the world of sports. With the Sports Forum podcast, we try to take a fairly deep dive on a variety of sports issues. For the most part, we'll be talking about issues beyond the games themselves. So with that, let's get this episode started. Welcome to the latest League of Fans Sports Forum podcast, everybody. We are lucky today to have a former All-American, Olympian, pro athlete, and United States Congressman with us. The Honorable Tom McMillan was a three-time All-American basketball player at the University of Maryland. He graduated as valedictorian of his class and then was selected as a Rhodes Scholar. He received a bachelor's and a master's degree in politics, philosophy, and economics from Oxford University. And he played a season of pro ball in Europe before an 11-season career in the NBA. He retired from the NBA in 1986 to begin a political career. And from 1987 to 1993, McMillan served three consecutive terms from the 4th District of Maryland in the United States House of Representatives. McMillan has been involved with the President's Council on Physical Fitness and Sports, now called the President's Council on Fitness, Sports, and Nutrition, in various capacities since 1970. In 2011, he was appointed chairman of the inaugural board of directors of the National Foundation on Fitness, Sports, and Nutrition. He also has served on the Knight Foundation's Commission on Intercollegiate Athletics, which investigates abuses within college sports. In addition, he has successfully served in a variety of roles in the business world. Today, Tom is the president and chief executive officer of the Lead One Association, which represents the athletic directors and programs of the football bowl subdivision. He's also the author of Out of Bounds, uh, a critical look at the impact of greed and unethical behavior in the world of sports. In that book, he foresaw a lot of the problems we're dealing with today, 30 years later in the world of sports. His op-eds and other articles have been published in periodicals such as the New York Times, Atlantic, Atlantic Monthly, USA Today, and the Chronicle of Higher Education, among many others. Thanks for joining us, Congressman. Yeah, good to be with you. Thanks, thanks for the offer. Well, uh, I'd love to talk about the state of Congress with you, but uh, I'll I'll stick to sports. It's a sports podcast, so to kick things off. You were a true student athlete at Maryland. You were a three-time All-American on the court and would have been a high draft choice in the NBA, but you were also selected as a Rhodes Scholar and chose to continue your education at Oxford University before joining the NBA. I was just curious, how you, how did you go about deciding to postpone your NBA career in order to go to Oxford? Um, well, I was a first-round pick in the NBA, and, um, you know, if um... – if I were today doing it, it would be pretty hard because the stakes are so high for those draft picks and uh, the teams really count on them. And, um, you know, it was just a different world back there. I could I could defer a year and do that. Today, I don't think I could. Bill Bradley did a similar thing. He won a Rhodes Scholarship and he went over to England, I mean, to England for two years and played basketball. I only ended up doing it for one year. Because I was able to come back to the NBA and play 
uh, and then go back to Oxford and, and finish up in three summer terms. But today it would be different because the money and pressure and everything is just so much more magnified. The other thing, you know, when uh, I was going through this process, it just so happened that the the team in the NBA, the Buffalo Braves that drafted me was from my hometown. And my dad was his dentist and Paul Snyder had made a lot of money. He bought an NBA team and uh, I was one of his draft picks. And so uh, I don't think that would have happened as well without the familial connection. Interesting. Well, given your experiences in college athletics from basketball athlete to your role today, heading up an athletic directors association, I wanted to start off by asking you what your thoughts are about the state of college athletics today, in particular, this wild, wild West kind of world we're living in with NIL and the transfer portal. Well, I think you summed it up pretty well. You know, college sports over the last hundred years has always been a battle between, you know, academic priorities and, or commercialism. And it's always been the, tug and pull between those two and today we see so many commercial pressures that emerge not only on the on the administrative side with coaches and so forth making a lot of money also the administrative side with television contracts going way up but now on the player side where players are demanding uh you know more recompense for their efforts and so you've got this enormous uh sort of coming together of all these commercial forces, um, name, image, and likeness, kids being able to transfer at will, um, declaration of employment status, all those things that are occurring are just really exacerbating sort of the, the whole commercial side of college sports. And so and let's add sports betting to that as well, where you know, you've got 30 plus states that are now uh, engaged in sports betting in this legalized sports betting in this country. And many of them, uh, these bets are being placed on college games. And so uh, it's an unusual moment. I don't think that we've sustained as many commercial forces all at once, you know, television contracts, uh, the pressures of realignment, conference realignment, academic pressures, I don't, NIL, you name it. I don't think we've had that kind of confluence really never in my lifetime and I had probably never before, um, you know, maybe in the very beginning where they were paying players to come and play football, but um, it's pretty severe and it's difficult for institutions of higher learning in this country to keep it all in balance. Uh, sports, college sports has become a big marketing tool for universities. It's the, it's a huge driver of enrollment. Uh, and so there's real justification as to why you invest in these programs because it helps your bottom line as a university. And so it's all those things together. And, you know, Congress is trying to sort out pieces of it, but as you well know, and uh, you comment in the beginning of, of the show is that Congress is can't even deal with the most critical issues of our country, which is like our debt ceiling. You know, do you have much confidence that they can deal with, issues like uh, college sports and so it's a it's a strange confluence of things i call it a witch's brew uh that if it's occurred you've got uh forces for employment nil transfer portal you name it and um, 
where it all goes, I mean, typically what happens is it just gets, things just get more and more acute. Uh, and then, you know, you got to go see the emergency doctor. And so that may, may very well be who the emergency doctor in this case. Generally, it's our policymakers, our federal policymakers. We went through this in the Olympics, by the way, when I played in 72. Our Olympics were a mess. That 72 Olympic Games were a mess. And they came back and they set up a presidential commission. Jerry Ford did, as you know. And they had a they had a commission and they cleaned up the Olympics. And uh, we may very well need something like that in college sports. Yeah, and it seems like uh, what's best for the student athlete, if that's still an appropriate term these days, it kind of gets lost sometimes. Uh, I found this on the web. No problem. I, I see uh, UCLA and USC leaving the Pac-12 to go to the Big Ten, and I have to think that it's not in the best interest of the students to fly from L.A. to Rutgers to play a volleyball match or something. And the NIL thing, in a lot of respects, is good, but it's just that each state is kind of making their own rules, and it's there's no guidelines. The NCAA is becoming almost... Uh, a non-entity at this point, and there's no real oversight. All that's true. You know, I, I kind of agree with Jack Swarbrick that there there should be rules requiring kids to not miss so much class. Uh, I know Notre Dame does that. You know, there's a flip side to this argument. I'm not necessarily making the argument, but a lot of times these kids, remember, a lot of kids who play college sports are never going to go on to the pros, so here's a chance for them to travel around the country and, you know, play and fly around charter planes and play in LA and play in all these places. And so there is a, that part of it, which is really educational. It is the, the problem is that these conferences are so spread out. I mean, you can justify football because you're talking about just a handful of games uh, on weekends. Basketball is more difficult, but with scheduling, you can even minimize that impact. The problem is when you get to all these other sports, you got softball and you got baseball and all those sports that have to travel that really don't have the budgets or the revenue to do it. So that's where it gets complicated. I mean, I think if you were dealing just with basketball and football, I think it would probably be manageable. They use charters. They, they get these kids back. It's not easy. Um, but the, the other thing that's happened, which I think is quite surprising about college sports, is that more and more kids are graduating in, in three years, three and a half years. I mean, they finish it up. The reason is they go to summer school. I never went to summer school. I was a chemistry major because they didn't really have labs in the summer. But if I had taken some, if I was stayed on campus and gone to summer school, which kids do today, which stretches it out, takes a little burden off them, you know, I would have. I would have, you know, that would be wonderful to have in my fourth year in school, I could have gotten another degree or something. So, I mean, there is a plus on it. A lot of these kids are graduating and they're going on to get graduate degrees. A friend of mine is at Vanderbilt. He finished uh, four years of football. He's graduating. He has graduated and he's going to come back, play another year of football because COVID gave him another year and he's going to get a master's. Well, I think that's all, that's all really a positive thing. So, uh, there are positives within this, uh, all this, the, the, and, you know, but keeping the balance is really, really tricky. And 
And, and where we're heading is where, you know, student athletes may very well be uh, categorized as employees is, is, has enormous consequences. Yeah. And I, there's a lot of talk that there'll be a couple super leagues that kind of just pull away from the NCAA. I think the reason it hasn't happened already is because these sports programs can fall under the nonprofit umbrella of the universities and that's to their advantage. But ultimately, it looks like there's going to be uh, AFC and NFC in college athletics, if you will, maybe 40 or 50 schools pull away at some point. Well, I think that's very possible. I, I do think that they will try to stay with, you know, if you looked at the two big conferences, the question is, will they stay within the sort of the academic umbrella? Because that there are a lot of tax benefits they get from being part of that. Uh, you know, Congress has been looking at taking away some of those benefits, particularly, you know, they see coaches making a lot of money and players soon to make a lot of money. They say, you know, why is this getting, why is this costing our taxpayers money? And so you do have those arguments out there. And the more that you head down the road of being a business, the more you will be treated as business i mean that's just a very simplistic point but that's true and i think that these great some of these great universities whether it's in the big 10 or whatever are those those are going to be issues that they're going to have to wrestle with how far do they want to go and you know you've got whatever you do you've got title nine which is a major major factor in any decision making so if you decide you want to go full bore business on men's basketball and football, you've got a Title IX corollary responsibility that's not going to go away. So it's more complicated than the AFC and NFC. It's just more, it's more of a, it's got more convolutions than, than just that simple analogy. But the point about having two conferences with lots of schools and mega, mega television does have, does have some reality to it. Let's switch to uh, youth sports. I, I'm intrigued by your involvement with the President's Council on Physical and Sports through the years. Um, and given your work in that area, it's got to be frustrating to see the poor state of fitness of our young people today. We're in the midst of a childhood obesity epidemic. PE classes are becoming more and more rare. Intramural sports programs, when you and I were back in school playing, are basically gone. And I even read recently that some elementary schools in Georgia are being built without gyms. So given your interest in the fitness of our young people, what are your thoughts on where we are today? Well, how do we turn it around? Well, go back to the 1950s, very interesting example where President Eisenhower as president was very worried about the United States had gotten um, had gotten really kind of uh, content and maybe uh, maybe uh, not not in shape after World War II, and it makes sense. People came back; they wanted to have a family. They didn't want to, you know, they didn't want to fight wars anymore. They didn't want to be in that high stress. And America was undergoing the beginning of an obesity crisis. And President Eisenhower set up the President's Council on, on Fitness at the time. And of course, John Kennedy followed it and became a national priority of ours. And But it, why did it happen? It happened because our national defense was at risk. Well, 
Today, we have the same situation. You know, 80% of young people, I think 17 to 23 or something like that, are are unfit to serve in our military. 80%. Wow. And, and that's not just for fitness. Some of it's drugs and so forth. And so you combine fentanyl and drugs and, and the lack of fitness. And, and you know, this uh, fitness divide that occurs in America where if you're a family with you know $100,000 income, 75% of your kids are playing sports. If you're a family below the poverty line, only 30%, less than half of those kids are playing sports. And, you know, exacerbated by the, the digital issues with phones and all that. So we really have a crisis in this country. It's just that we, we don't have the call to, to, to arms like we did back then. Remember, Sputnik was very instrumental in waking up our, our nation. Right. Uh, and we need a Sputnik moment uh, in this regard. And I don't know what that will be. But I'm sure it will come, and uh, there'll be a whole refocusing on this on this uh, on this area because we are we are uh, when you as a nation can't field an army, you combine that with a voluntary army, and 80 percent are unfit. You you have a real recipe for disaster. Yeah, especially given all the research out there now that fit kids perform better academically, they have fewer emotional problems. We're having this mental health crisis with young people in the country. And if just daily cardiovascular-based physical education could be implemented, it would help academics, it would help the health of the country and lower emotion, emotional problems kids are having these days. Well, there's no question. And it's a, it's, it's a priority. And I, you know, I'm talking, I talk to policymakers from time to time about it. It just, there's so many issues on the on the table, but you know the looming threat of China and uh, in Russia's aggression and all those kinds of things make us you know be introspective about our nation's capabilities. And right now, they're not very good. If you talk to military people, they're very concerned about recruiting and even manning an army for the future. Uh, you also have demographic declines. I mean, China has this, we're facing in this country, we're the aging of America. And that's why it's even more important than ever to get a comprehensive immigration strategy because we may need people to help us fight our wars in this country or to defend our nation. And uh, those are all the complicating factors of all the, all the things that we're dealing with as a nation. I was reading your book out of bounds again uh, the other night and, and noticed you had a chapter on the jungle of youth sports, you called it. And as you well know, we have all kinds of problems in youth sports today, probably more than when you wrote the book. There's overuse injuries and kids are specializing in a single sport sooner and sooner. We've had this proliferation of travel teams and club sports organization, which is increasing the disparity gap between the haves and have nots with youth sports families, as you touched on briefly before. And then of course you have overbearing adults, parents and coaches that are driving officials out of the game. So now we have a youth sports and high school sports official shortage. Um, and one thing that was interesting in your book is you wrote about the demanding overbearing father you had and how he took some of the joy out of playing sports and 
just, I was just wondering, how did you deal with that at the time? And how did those experiences impact your philosophy regarding youth and high school sports today and how they should be operated? Well, I, to, to my father's credit, he was tough on me, but he didn't in any way diminish my enjoyment of playing sports. I've always enjoyed playing sports. But he was a tough taskmaster. That's just the generation he came from. I mean, I don't think I would have been as good a basketball player without his prodding and pushing. Um, the issue is when you look at a nation, you like to think of it as a, a pyramid where, you know, public resources are not are, are at the bottom of the pyramid. So to promote wide opportunities for kids from all parts of your nation to be fit and to participate in sports and so forth. America, and uh, conversely, at the top of that pyramid should be less resources for elite sports, professional sports, and so forth. Uh, our pyramid up in America is upside down. Uh, we have all these public resources. I mean, we'll spend hundreds of millions, billions of dollars on public stadiums and all that and giving monopolies to pro leagues and so forth. Yet we starve our the bottom of the, you know, the, where, where we really need it as a country. And again, the, the wake-up call is really national security. And that is the wake-up call. And quite frankly, the NBA and the NFL, they all have to take greater responsibilities and, and grasp this, but it's all very utilitarian. You know, the NFL wants new sports to the extent that it, is expanding their pipeline. Yeah, but I, I re yeah, I recall when I was uh, going to the Winter Olympics with uh, Mrs. Clinton, Hillary Clinton. She was first lady. I accompanied her, uh, and uh, it was in Lillehammer. It's a beautiful uh, Olympics. I think it was nineteen ninety four or something like that, right around there, and the Norwegians celebrated the awarding of the games to them by a million uh, Norwegians going out and cross country skiing. And a year later or two years later was the Atlanta Olympics where we had our summer Olympics in Atlanta. And so the way America celebrated it was we had a million spectators watch a torch runner take a torch down the streets. And I, I thought that the dichotomy of that was so telling because you know, we celebrated by putting a million people on the street. We celebrate have a million spectators. That is so true, isn't it? And I think that sums it up pretty much. Yeah, I think most people think America is a sports-mad country, but it's really a sports-fan-mad country. I mean, the participation in our country versus other countries is not nearly as, as good. I think most of the time, if you play all the way through high school, that's it. Uh, whereas other countries in Europe, they have sports clubs, you know, that, you know, there's eight to 80, basically. You, if you join a sports club, you're still participating or can for most of your adult life. Whereas here we be, we become participant, or I mean, fans. And, you know, and, and, you know, every nation, well, I, I was in China one time, I went to see the sports ministry there. I mean, it's a five, seven story building. It's, it's, it handles all the, you know, policy for a national fitness and sports of the Chinese, and they're building a million basketball courts, and there's all kinds of facilities across the country. The exercise in the day, they take it very seriously. In America, we don't have that. We don't have a sports ministry. We're the only major country in the world that doesn't do that because we've not made it a national priority. 
And the consequences are, are not good for our healthcare, for our military across the board. And, you know, we're going to have to reevaluate this. Um, we keep saying this, but it's been since the 50s that we had a, a commitment in this area. So here we are 70 years later and we're falling, falling behind. Yeah, and in this country, sports policy, if you will, is pretty much created by unregulated sports cartels, pro sports leagues, and that kind of filters down to the colleges, and then the high schools copy the colleges, and pretty soon you have over-commercialized and professionalized youth sports. So to touch on your point about the lack of a National Sports Commission, I think that's very important. Uh, Almost every country has, depending on what they call it, a sports ministry or a national sports commission that kind of establishes a national sports policy in various areas and gets everyone participating to some degree. And yet in the United States, it's left up to private entities that are driven by the dollar in terms of and not so much what's in the best health of our country. Yeah, and that's the point about the NFL and the NBA, and they have enormous reach, and uh, but it's very pecuniary. It's 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 about money, and uh, and uh, you know we're going to step back and think: is there a better way to, you know, design this system in America? But the moment, the crunch moment is coming. I mean, we're in increasing global competition with multiple nations in the world, and uh, and. Uh, National security is the biggest driver in America. And whenever, I mean, if you want to move policy, make it a national security concern. Well, the Congress at one point uh, passed the Ted Stevens Sports Act, which I know you're well aware of, but originally it was designed to mandate that our national govern bo governing bodies that promote broad-based participation in various sports were going to focus on the entire country and not just uh, developing elite athletes. But unfortunately, the mandate to get broad-based sports participation has been unfunded. And so nothing's done in that area. And so that once again, it's left to the pro sports leagues that kind of do what they want. Yes, that's, that is the history. And uh, it was a great moment in our country where I think we could have uh, really reoriented our effort, but it's so competitive. It's about winning medals and winning championships and and not necessarily about instilling in our young people a desire to be athletic, to be fit, to be more uh, physically active. It's just, it's a lesser priority. You look at our schools, the schools are a classic example. What you pointed out is that it's becoming less and less of a priority. And uh, it will change. It just, it always does in this country, but it's always takes something to light the fire. Well, uh, you talked about the upside down pyramid in this country, and I, I just kind of wanted to touch on that now uh, the, from a sports fan perspective here. Um, the average fan, you know, is getting priced out of these games, uh, ticket prices. Then you got things like seat licenses, you got concession and parking prices, et cetera. All that's bad for the average sports fan. But what really bothers me is the handouts that these local taxpayers are handing over to the wealthy, wealthy sports owners to build new sports palaces um, so these owners can make even more money. The most recent example, I think, was the Pagulas or with 
multi-billionaires uh, extorting a new stadium from taxpayers in Buffalo and New York. And now we have the Oakland A's moving to, to Vegas because they can get some money, they think, from Vegas politicians, despite John Fisher, the owner of the A's, being a, a billionaire himself. Um, I, I don't know if there's anything you think we can do to stop this stadium extortion, but uh, it, just, it just doesn't seem right. No, it's not. You know, the, the fact of the matter is, I mean, you understand why cities do it because, you know, it's such a, they bring them into their city, they use hotel taxes, then they use revenue taxes to pay for this stuff. So they end up getting tremendously increased business, you know, so it makes sense for them to do it. But your point is that, uh, uh, it's not that the one of the things that Daniel Moynihan, the former United States senator, was really very uh, prescient about was that he didn't like these franchises moving around. He thought there should be a, a, a toll tax or something to stop them because that's what's being it's all being driven. The system of federalism in our country where states pit against other states is really the driver here. I mean, the fact that you know, Oklahoma, I mean, uh, Las Vegas can pull Oakland. It's just all about federalism and using competitive advantages. And, you know, there, he did some really good thinking on that back when he was in the Senate, because he thought that that was a, that was a, a very negative policy for the United States. Not that you don't want to attract and bring these entities to your to your jurisdiction, but the fact that they're kind of playing against each other, that's really where, where he had a lot of problems, so. Yeah, and, and there's been numerous cases where uh, cities will build new stadiums and then they'll, uh, 10 years later, the franchise will bolt anyway. I think of St. Louis with the Rams left and taxpayers are still paying for a stadium that they're not even, the Rams aren't even playing in anymore. Yeah, well, I mean, it's an area of public policy. I mean, the, these, these public the sports enterprises are very powerful and they, uh, but it is something that needs to be looked at. You know, again, I, this whole comprehensive look at where we are in our country and why we are, you know, why we have this fitness divide and why uh, we have this huge amount of Americans, 80% Americans unfit to serve in the military. I mean, we, we need some real serious public policy analysis on this. Do you see any hope of the thing we touched on before the Ted Stevens Sports Act being funded so that there can be incentives for the NGBs to actually get broad-based participation? Maybe the NGBs that get the most participants can get additional funding or something like that. There's some type of incentive involved. I, you know, right now in our government, I mean, we can't even uh... – we can't pass our budgets and we can't get our debt limits increased. So I'm not very optimistic. As I said, uh, our nation works pretty well when we're under stress. And uh, I don't know what will be the catalyst here, but you know, there will be a Sputnik moment in America. And I think that will kind of wake people up. First of all, our healthcare costs are just ballooning yeah. through, through the roof. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, kids are just not recreating uh, and, and, and the, the obesity problem. So it's not just sports, it's also health, which is extremely important, and national security. So all those big issues 
uh, will come the bear down the road. I, I'm sure of it. It's just, it's frustrating to, to have to wait for that moment. Yeah, you touched on the healthcare thing. And, you know, type two diabetes used to be called adult onset diabetes, but now we're seeing like 14, 15 year old kids getting type two diabetes, which is really sad. Yeah, very prevalent. And a lot of these adult diseases are now we're witnessing in children and kids. And so it's a, the great uh, elixir of health is exercise. And uh, everybody, the Greeks knew it. And uh, we, we can't, I think sometimes we have to refocus our, our nation back on those simple points. Um, it, you know, a lot of people said exercise, if it was uh, in pill form, would be the biggest selling drug there is. But people haven't figured out how to monetize it, I guess. No, no, it's it's a... Uh, you know, all these things, they, they, these problems just keep growing. And one day we, we break, a, we come to a breaking point and then we figure we have to solve it. You know, we saw that in the 50s. We, we've seen it before. Uh, you know, you study American history and, you know, our getting into World War II was a very, very reluctant. It's only Pearl Harbor that precipitated that. And here we think that that war is the most consequential war of, really of human civilization and the United States was a reluctant participant in it only after we were forced. So sometimes some of these issues evolve that way. It's just, you have to have a, a breaking point. You have to have a crystallization and uh, it, it will happen. I, I'm not, I'm confident that we'll get back to the basics here uh, at some point. Well, Tom, I'm sure you're still quite busy, but for one, I would love to see you write an updated version of your book, Out of Bounds, How the American Sports Establishment is Being Driven by Greed and Hypocrisy and What Needs to Be Done About It. Because like we talked about, the issues are even bigger now, times 10 or whatever. So uh, if you get a few months, get back on that and write us a new epilogue at least or something. <laughs> well, I have to think about that. And also, you know, sports betting is obviously a whole new factor there. It wasn't part of that book. Uh, and now we have that world to deal with. So thanks for that uh, uh, prompt. And uh, maybe I'll, I'll try to do that when I get a little time here. Yeah. Go to the beach and just start writing. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds well, good. Congressman Tom McMillan has been our guest on League of Fan Sports Forum. I appreciate your time and keep up the good work out there. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of League of Fans Sports Forum Podcast. If you would please take a few moments to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, it would be appreciated. You can follow Sports Forum and get information about episodes on Facebook at Sports Forum Podcast. And be sure to go to LeagueofFans.org to find some of our latest work on contemporary sports issues. Until next time, take care.